Life Experienced will begin right after this. Life is made up of experiences. Experiences shape our perspectives and allow us to pass along knowledge. In this podcast, I sit down with listeners like you and find out that no matter who you are, everyone has a story to tell. I'm Ethan Smith, and this is Life Experienced. Our guest today is Lieutenant Alex Kriegel of the United States Navy. Our conversation began when I asked Alex to describe his motivation for joining the military. Here's his story. Okay, so as a, a really young kid, I definitely did not see myself in the military, and especially not submarines. So actually as a kid, what I'd always wanted to do, and this was after buying the first roller coaster tycoon for PC, was becoming a roller coaster designer or being an Imagineer for, for Walt Disney or working at Universal Studios. Um, and I really, really thought that was going to be my thing. And then I took a, a course in AutoCAD when I was in seventh grade. And that was one of the big factors in saying, okay, I, I don't think this is what I actually want to do. However, my love for roller coasters and amusement parks has stayed with me. And it's one of my most favorite things to do nowadays. I'd say the big factor and what made me want to join the military was September 11th, which ironically today is actually the 17th anniversary of September 11th. So on that day, I was in seventh grade, a 12-year-old kid, you know, and I just remember going to school that morning and I'd be in my class and, you know, people just started slowly getting pulled out of class, um, just trickling out. So I, I lived in Northern Virginia and obviously extremely close to Washington, D.C., so Fairfax, Virginia. And so a lot of people were affected by that. And a lot of people in Fairfax work for the government. And so when the terror attacks happened, the government was, was closed and everybody was sent home to be with their families. So they'd start pulling their kids out. So... I was in actually drama class and theater class and already, you know, at the beginning of the day, my, my class size was about half full, but nobody knew what was going on because they didn't talk about it and they didn't have it on the, on the news yet. And then I get a call over the, the intercom to report to the office and my, my parents were, were standing there and they, they said, you know, we need to go home now. They didn't really explain why until we got in the car and I just... I asked him, you know, what's going on? And they said something terrible's happened and that we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to um, get home. And so I'll just never forget going home with my parents and turning on the TV and watching the, the planes crash into the, the World Trade Center. This was a few, few uh, hours after it already happened. I'm already tearing up a little bit. Um, little did I know that that was going to change the rest of my life. Um, you know, I'm sitting there with, with tears in my eyes watching it, and little did I know that that, that, was, that was the inspiration for, for what I was going to do in the future. I said that day that this is going to be the day that I'm going to join something that's bigger than myself and join the military. So, <laughs> let's have a second. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Ooh, especially in the anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I didn't even realize. Yeah. So, so, so that day I told myself, I'm going to, I'm going to join the military. I'm, I'm going to, going to do whatever I can for this country. And, um, if, if it just so happens that I have to give my life for doing that, then that's, that's something I'll have to accept, but this country's worth fighting for. So I didn't know exactly what I was going to do and, and what service I was going to join. But in the eighth grade, my, my best friend's dad in high school is actually a Naval Academy graduate. And, uh, he would invite us over, me, me and my buddies, and we'd watch some of the Navy football games, and he would tell me stories about when he was a submariner, uh, because that, that's what he did after he graduated from the academy. He was an executive officer on a submarine. And so he would take me to some of the actual football games. We'd go see the, the brigade of midshipmen at the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, walk out onto the football field, and um, extremely inspirational, uh, if you ever get the chance to see that. And just just... Being exposed to that over the years, that that's what really solidified that I'd want to be a submariner one day and want to go to the Naval Academy. Um, unfortunately, after I got out of high school, I applied for the Naval Academy, and I got waitlisted. And a few days before induction day in uh, early July, which is where all of the new freshmen go to the Naval Academy and they start plebe summer, which is like our boot camp. My bull and gold officer, who's the uh, the admissions officer, gave me a call and he said, "You know, pack your bags, get ready to go. It looks like you're going to be the next one on the wait list." And uh, then induction day came and went, and I never got that call. <laughs> so I ended up going to University of Virginia for a year, and I did Naval ROTC there, which was a great experience. I met a lot of great people, learned a lot of wonderful lessons that I was able to take on to the the Naval Academy, where I was accepted into the class of 2012. The United States Navy has many different areas where its members serve. I asked Alex to describe how he navigated choosing submarines versus other concentrations. First of all, I suppose on behalf of myself and the listeners, we appreciate your service to the country and we thank you for that. And it's always great to hear the inspiring stories. But um, so I guess you, you had the idea of the submarines because of, of this, that what you've talked about. And so what, how did you kind of head towards that pathway once you got into the academy and how did you land there was that something that you got to have a say in or was it a little bit how does that process work so the naval academy i mean you're just indoctrinated with everything so the naval academy has surface warfare aviation navy seals submariners explosive ordnance disposal which is bomb squad marines everything and as a plebe, you learn all about that. So throughout plebe summer, they're called rates. And rates you have to have memorized. And at any time, an upperclassman can come up to you and just get in your face and ask you to, to you know, spat off this rate about some sort of aviation-related plane or job or what submarine is this? What's the capabilities of this? What's the mission set of this? Uh, so you learn about all these different things. And you take courses in that as well, courses in navigation and weapons and and all sorts of different things. But really the, the big draw for most people for what they want to do is over the summer, you get to go on some sort of experience out in the fleet. So I had this really great deal actually during my 
um, youngster cruise, so my sophomore cruise, where I got to go to Hawaii, and I was on a submarine for uh, a few days. I think it was about three. And I got to go underway with them. And at the time, I actually thought it was a little boring <laughs> because you're not really given a job to do. Your job really is just to tag along and, and uh, watch everybody and get to talk to the crew. So I was assigned to a, a sonar man. So my watch with him was standing in sonar, and you watch the sonar screen, which if you've ever seen The Matrix, it looks like that green wave that goes down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that you sit there and you stare at that for like eight hours. <laughs> and so as a midshipman, a student at the Naval Academy, I had no idea what I was looking at. I mean, they, they did their best to explain right. it to me, but I could only stand there and stare at this <laughs> Matrix for so long. So, you know, I'd wander around the ship and I'd ask all sorts of questions, but... All, all, all in all, it was kind of boring. Um, but I was struck by just the intelligence and the motivation and just the will to do their jobs and um, just how inspirational everybody was on, on board that submarine, especially the enlisted guys. I mean, they're the cream of the crop for, for the Navy, the the pick of the litter. They're, they're just... They will do just whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, they won't, <laughs> they won't lie about it and they won't, um, you know, they won't do that, but they, they will really do a lot for you. And to, to this day, that's one of the best things about being a submariner and why I, I look forward to going back is just working with the, the enlisted guys and my men and, and women, um, who are just so smart and so capable, but being in Hawaii during that time was, was also a really good experience and they definitely, definitely try to sell you on submarines by, by having you do that as well. <laughs> um, so the, the next summer we, we go on this thing called Prochamid, which is you get to go with the Marine Corps, the SEALs, the surface warfare guys, the aviators, and then you really get a chance to compare all the different communities. It's a week with each community for four weeks total. And, um, going on my, uh, another submarine, on on that experience really solidified that for me that that's what I wanted to do and um I was actually able to apply to the submarine community as a second class midshipman which is a junior and uh, I was accepted to be be a submariner um that year actually so m most students get accepted to their service selection their senior year but they make a special exception for for nukes which would be submariners and surface warfare nuclear qualified people um okay. so you can get ahead of the game yeah. yeah. Submariners make up a smaller division of the U.S. Navy, so what is it like spending extended amounts of time on a submarine? Alex was happy to describe his experiences. Well, first of all, I it, it's very unlikely because before I met you, I you, you don't really think about the extent to which the United States military still makes use of submarines, but it's very much a thing, and you talk like there's there's a lot of these people, it's, it's a you know, a really big part of the, the Naval Academy. So that's really neat, but also much less thinking about <laughs> what it's like to actually be on one. Because I don't know, I've, I, I don't know how many people that are listening to this have seen the movie Das Boot, but when I think of being on a submarine, you know, I think about this little German U-boat that <laughs> sinks to the bottom of the Strait of Gibraltar, you know. So like, tell us a little bit about it, what it's like when you're actually out and deployed and things like that. Okay, so... A lot of people have probably been on the submarines that are docked at a lot of major cities. These are World War II submarines for the most part. And if you've ever been on one, what, what I normally hear from people is that they say, I, 
I just wanted to get out the second I was on there. Because these submarines from World War II, they're pretty much just one long hallway. And people would sleep in hammocks and just absolutely no privacy. So I still say the no privacy part completely applies. I mean, it is cramped in there. But it's not one long hallway anymore. Now it's like three long hallways. They're stacked <laughs> on top of each other. So you... Let's say, let's, so I wake up, you know, in my rack and then I'll probably end up going on watch. So before you do that, you have to do a pre-watch tour. So you'll stand watch either forward as the officer of the deck. And so the ones that are in charge of safety of the entire ship and you con the ship. Um, what I mean by con is that you, you give out orders for what direction you go. You're in charge of evolutions that are going to be accomplished. Um, and it's, it's more of the tactical driver of, of the submarine. And if you're not doing that as an officer on watch, then you're going to be the engineering officer of the watch back aft. So this is in maneuvering. And maneuvering is probably the size of a bedroom, maybe a little bit smaller than that. And you're in charge of the, the nuclear reactor of the submarine. So you sit back there with a reactor operator, an electrician, and a throttleman. And you give orders to them to operate the plant while people actually out in the engine room execute those orders and then report back to you that they're done. So you'll have to go on a tour of your space just to, to see what's going on, see if um, there's any evolutions in progress or anything that needs to be done. And so those tours before you go and watch can be you know half an hour to 45 minutes or more just to make sure that you have everything down. So then you'll go do a pre-watch brief that'll last probably about 10 or 15 minutes, and then you'll have your meal. So you'll eat... And then you'll go and relieve the watch and you'll stand watch for eight hours doing whatever is on the plan of the day to be done for that day. Then you'll get relieved. Eventually you'll go eat another meal. And then this is where just all of the random randomness of the plan of the day comes into play. So you could be doing training with your division. You could be doing um, like an engineering brief for some evolution. You could be, uh, getting some sort of training done. Um, you could be watching your guys doing maintenance. You could be doing your own paperwork and filling all that sort of stuff out. You could be working on your qualifications so you can be qualified submariner eventually if you're not qualified yet. And all this really starts stacking up in terms of how much time it takes. And there's really just never a dull moment because there's always something to be done, especially when you start throwing drills into that mix. So drills, one of the most important things we do on the submarine, prepare you in the event of a casualty. So a major casualty on a submarine would be like a fire or a flooding scenario or a loss of propulsion. Um, one of the big ones is the reactor scram when the uh, control rods are inserted into the reactor and you have no more reactor power. So it's, it's how you'd react to, to all those different things. And those can be hours long. Um, and can take up a lot of your day. So usually underway, I would get anywhere between four to six hours of sleep a night. And I mean, if I was getting six hours, that was a rare day and I was extremely happy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> six hours. Wow. Um, but I'd also have a few nights where I would just get one or two, if any sleep at all, especially leading up to me being qualified as um, qualified in submarines and getting my, my pin for that just because um, the captain's really testing you and really pushing you to see if, if you know your stuff. 
Alex was most recently stationed on the USS Houston, a Los Angeles-class fast-attack submarine, which operated out of a home port of Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, from 2014 to 2016. In 2015, he spent six months deployed to the Western Pacific. In 2016, the USS Houston and its crew changed its home port to Bremerton, Washington, where it was then decommissioned in 2017 after 35 years of service. Alex is presently taking a break from his time underway to pursue his master's degree in chemical engineering. Now knowing more about his military experience, I asked him what advice he would give to those who are considering joining the military. I suppose if you had advice to give to someone who's considering joining the military, and not necessarily the Navy, but just in general, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give to, to those people? I'd say be yourself is the number one thing. You'll see a lot of people joining the military and thinking that they have to act a certain way or um, putting on these like fake personas and at least as an officer, your enlisted guys can see right through that. So being yourself and being able to admit when you've made a mistake, I think is huge. And I've made a ton of mistakes. I've screwed up all sorts of things on the sub and there's really no better way to learn than to make a mistake and then learn from it. If you make a mistake and then you don't learn from it, then that's bad. But uh, really doing some some deep thinking about what caused it to go wrong and uh, how you can improve yourself will will go far for your future. Alex's experiences represent just a small section of the duties of active members of the U.S. military. There are countless other men and women, both active duty and veterans, who all have stories to tell. Alex offered some advice on what you can do the next time you see a veteran or soldier in uniform. People always, uh, I think regardless of who you are, everyone has respect for people who serve in the United States military. And uh, I know it's always it's always great to see these people, especially people that have served in like Vietnam and, you know, we're losing all of our World War II veterans. They're, they're almost all have all passed on. But um, I guess, how, how do you normally respond? Do you have people that approach you and when you're in uniform and things like that? Yeah. When, yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. Um, they'll usually just come up and say, thank you for your service. And you'll say, of course, or thank you. Um, but I'd say probably the more meaningful thing to do is if you're going to thank somebody for the, their service, you know, also maybe just ask them a question about, you know, Hey, where, like, where are you serving? Where have you served? what did you do? Um, and just take a minute out of your day just to hear some of those stories. Like you said, a lot of world war two veterans are dying and they have a lot of stories to tell. And it's a shame that we're going to lose that. Um, but it just makes it a little bit more real and a little bit more human. Cause, uh, you know, these are people with families and, kids and moms and dads who all miss them when they go on deployment. Um, so yeah, I mean, I still really appreciate people thanking me, but I'd say, you know, like get to know them just a, a little bit, just a little slice of their life. If you have the time for it. Alex had many unique experiences and perspectives to share, but his interview didn't end here. Next week, I'll continue the interview with some of the more humorous experiences Alex recounted from his time on the submarine. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss part two.
Life Experienced is hosted and produced by Ethan D. Smith and is primarily distributed via D-Sound, a decentralized audio sharing platform built on the Steam blockchain. For more information, visit dsound.audio. The music in this podcast is composed by Lee Rosevere and used under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. For more information, visit freemusicarchive.org. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you like the podcast, be sure to share it with others. If you have an interesting experience that you want to share, please let me know by tweeting at Ethan D. Smith or visiting ethandsmith.com. And while I have saved most of the humor for next week, I couldn't resist sharing Alex's answer to the one burning question that many of us have about submarines. You mentioned earlier about the sonar screens looking more like the Matrix. Yeah. Are, are, are there actually these like sonar blips like, <laughs> like so, in every movie ever that has submarines? So when you when you see a submarine movie like Hunt for Red October or whatever, yeah. you'll there there's always that scene, that quintessential scene where there's a submarine driving along and then you hear like the whoop. Right, right. Whoop. So that's that's active sonar. Which, if you're just driving along, blasting out active sonar, right. then everybody knows where you are. So it's very <laughs> rare that we actually do active sonar. Uh, what you're doing the majority of the time is passive sonar. Right. And so, like I said, it's like looking into the matrix. And when think of think of a compass rose, and then stretch it out into a line, and it'll have all these different sorts of bearings on it. So like zero 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 nine zero two seven zero whatever. So if there's a ship bearing that um, bearing be- down that bearing, there'll be these little squiggles, uh, and that that's the noise signature that we're receiving from it. So we look at those squiggles, and if they're going, um, if they're drawing left or right, or some other pattern, and then we interpret that as to where this mm-hmm. contact actually is. But uh, you don't know much in terms of range. Like with a radar, you know range and bearing. With sonar, we just know bearing. Okay. Until we do our own maneuvers, and then we can kind of figure yeah. out where they actually are. So that that can be nerve-wracking as well. Sure. As, I mean, you're literally driving blind. Right. <laughs> Except for sonar. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And once again, I'm Ethan Smith, reminding you to get out there and experience life.